Good morning and welcome back to our daily devotional broadcast. First, let me apologize for an abrupt end to yesterday's podcast. What happened was that, you see, I'm quite terrible and very scared of technical stuff. So I was looking for what to do, how to stop the recording after I finished. But before I finished the last sentence, I clicked on the stop button and so ended it. Anyway, it's no big matter. I was in the, just telling um, you all that there will be a bonus podcast tomorrow, Saturday, because I would very much like to finish off the parables before we start on another part of the gospel. So now for today, we will look at Matthew chapter 13, verse 31 to 35. It's a parable of mustard seed, the parable of the yeast in dough. Let us pray. Father, speak to us your truths, that in understanding you we may be so filled with joy, and that your word will bring your kingdom into our lives and transform us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Matthew chapter 13, verse 31 to 35. He told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed, which a man took and planted in his field. Though it is the smallest of all seeds, yet when it grows, it is the largest of garden plants and becomes a tree, so that the birds come and perch in its branches. He told them still another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like yeast that a woman took and mixed into about 60 pounds of flour until it worked all through the dough. Jesus spoke all these things to the crowd in parables. He did not say anything to them without using a parable. So was fulfilled what was spoken through the prophet. I will open my mouth in parables. I will utter things hidden since the creation of the world. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. In these two parables, Jesus used very commonplace items and events. It was not meant for scholars and the great thinkers and theologians. Rather, these parables were meant for the common people who went about their daily lives. It was meant to capture their attention. Can you imagine talking about mustard seed in a tiny seed in a big tree and birds? And so when you walk through maybe a field or take a walk, just yesterday morning was my day off and I was walking along Ulu Pandan Canal and we were looking at all the trees and grasses and immediately it triggered again the thought of what a mustard seed would look like in all this context and what a mustard tree would look like then and the birds and all or again when you think about bread and dough and yeast many of you who are bakers now this will capture your imagination because as you knead your bread and as you pour the yeast in you think again of what Jesus was saying about yeast and bread so it gets you thinking or when you walk past a bakery, or even when you eat bread and taste the softness, touch the softness of the bread, and then you think again, what has happened when yeast comes into dough? And so these parables are meant to trigger your imagination as you go through your daily life. And that's the beautiful part of these parables. They are quite ambiguous. They don't give you a lot of details. They just capture your imagination. And what happens then is that as you think about it throughout each day, 
as you eat your bread and you think, wow, look at this bread. I wonder what the kingdom of heaven is like when the yeast um, infiltrated, permeated this, this bread, this dough. When you walk along the street and you think of pebbles and sand and fields, grasses, you think about the tiny little mustard seed. And I hope then that it will keep triggering off new thoughts. And that's the beauty of the Word of God. That it's not meant to be analysed and thought through and torn apart. Rather, it's to trigger off your imagination and your thoughts and you begin to ask, what is the Kingdom of Heaven like? What does it do to my life? What does it do to the life of my colleagues in the office or in the community in Taman Jurong? How powerful is the kingdom, the rule of God in our lives? Of course, there is a danger because, um, and we have to be very careful about this because our imagination may just run wild and we think of all sorts of crazy things. And so we have to come back and ask ourselves, well, does the rest of the Bible tell us this? Um, and but what good the good that it does is it gets us to keep thinking again and to think on the word of god and on the rule of god is one of the best things that could do to occupy your minds and so i hope that these two little observations about yeast in dough and mustard seed and the mustard tree will keep troubling or going around in your minds that you keep ruminating about them and find out more and more truths about the Kingdom of Heaven. So I will share some of my thoughts, um, and they are not conclusive, and my purpose for sharing my thoughts is just to stimulate your own thinking, your own imagination, and then allow the Holy Spirit to speak to you. And perhaps you could exchange thoughts, you could write to me, and, um, and then we could discuss it over another podcast as well. Um, the important thing is we get to understand more of what the kingdom of God is like. So as I said, yesterday, uh, yesterday I was walking along Ulu Pandan Canal. It's a beautiful place. And I was looking at the lalang and the grasses and the bushes and the barren land with just mud and sand and pebbles. And then on the track that I was walking on, um, a tarred track, but lots of lots of little grains of sand and pebbles along the way. You know, the little mustard seed is so small that it's the size of a grain of sand, smaller than many pebbles. I thought of what it would look like when thrown into the grass. It would just disappear into the grass. If it was in the lalang, then it would never be seen again. It was so small, it was just the size of a grain of sand. It's insignificant perhaps even vulnerable. It drops into any place and it just disappears. What good is that grain of sand? What good is that mustard seed? The difference between a mustard seed and a grain of sand is that the mustard seed has a DNA that's been planned by God for something far greater. Never mind that it's smaller than a pebble, never mind that once it drops into a bed of a field of grass, it just vanishes. None of that is important. What's important is that this tiny little seed has a DNA for something far greater. And when it's allowed to grow, it's a destiny. It is destined to grow into a large plant, the largest of all bushes. 
You see, we think then about destiny and God's plans. doesn't matter where you start. Maybe tiny, maybe insignificant. You may seem to amount to nothing. But the reality is not in what you look like at the beginning. But what the DNA, what the destiny, what God has destined you for when His kingdom is in your life. That is what matters. And then I think about the mustard tree. It's big, but it's big not to dominate other trees. It's big not to bully other trees. It's just big to give shelter. That's always the plan of God's rule. It's never to dominate others, to throw others out, to bully others. The kingdom of God is that giant, it's that gentle giant that provides shade and shelter and rest for others. The purpose of this mustard seed then, as Jesus points out, is that it grows large, larger than all plants, but for one purpose, that, that birds can roost, birds can rest, they can nest in this tree, find shelter and restoration. And that's what the aim of God's kingdom is all about. That we will each grow into a huge tree, a gentle giant, but for one purpose, that others may be restored through our lives. Think of this. How powerful is this tree? How powerful it is that God, when His rule is in your heart, will put you, it will make you an influence to many around you. But here's one thought too, and I may be wrong about it, and you may have other thoughts, but this was one of my thoughts, that this mustard tree is stationary, it's local, it's parochial, you know, it's stuck in one place, it doesn't travel everywhere, it's stuck in one place, and the birds that happen to be there come and roost, come to nest in that tree. And I was just thinking about local ministries versus international superstar ministries. Perhaps we've been very much influenced by um, multinationals and capitalism. Multinationals are a great idea from a business point of view. I mean, you have a product, rather than just selling it in your local place, you internationalize it, you invade other countries with all your goods and your products. And it's a great idea from a business point of view. But from a sociological point of view, I wonder. I mean, our society, our country has been flooded with many of these uh, franchises for um, fast food, burgers and fried chicken and all that. And I ask myself, how much good has fast food done to our lives? Uh, it's popular, it makes tons of money. But from a point of view of health and diet, I, I wonder. And now, of course, these fast food uh, franchises have started going back local. They have mala burgers and chicken porridge. And I ask myself, chicken porridge in a fast food joint? I mean, we have chicken porridge everywhere in our hawker centres and they taste so much better. So the question again is how much, how much good? But sorry for this rant, Let's me, let me get back to my real subject, which is about internationalizing the gospel. You know, so many of us in churches look to turn to international speakers. We have this, um, we're enamored, basically, by international speakers. 
And I think of someone like Ravi Zacharias, and basically I I don't think he has gone, I mean he has sinned. I don't think that God will not forgive his sins. He is in many ways like us, struggling with our sins, with ourselves. But I think that one of the problems for him and for many was this pressure to keep up a multi-million dollar um, ministry that reaches out to millions of people throughout the world. And I ask myself, is this really necessary? You see, God gave us the fivefold ministry, that of the apostle, the pastor, the teacher, the evangelist, the prophet. Just these offices, are they not all found in our local churches? That we have to have people, celebrity pastors, jet-setting all over the world to teach us something from themselves? I mean, it's no harm listening to a tape, but a multi-million dollar business? Should not the gospel then be grown? Should not the kingdom of God be grown locally? And sometimes in our over-dependence on prophets from overseas, we, we think that prophets from overseas have greater prophecies and therefore ours don't matter. It's that our churches become very impoverished. We don't look for our own teachers and I bet you God has provided great teachers for our church. We don't look for our own prophets. But surely there are God-fearing, God-listening prophets in our churches. Or evangelists. We used to have people go to big rallies of tens of thousands of people. But surely one of the best ways of reaching people is one-to-one, -one by ourselves, friends bringing friends. And then apostles, we have Sometimes it becomes a political thing. We have people jostling to be the apostle of Singapore, an apostle of the USA, an apostle of the region of Asia. And I don't think apostles were that way. Apostles are leaders. Surely every church could have one that speaks the heart, the mind of God, that leads the people in the ways of God. But if we were then to focus on what God has given to each local church, every local church being given such gifts. Of course, Paul made missionary journeys, but his missionary journeys were short ones to encourage the leaders of the church and then to move on. If we were to allow God then to cultivate these offices, these roles in our churches, how much more shelter we would provide for the people around us. There's a story in First King chapter 1 Kings chapter 22, about the king of Israel, Ahab, and the king of Judah, uh, Jehoshaphat. Eh, no, sorry, Jehoiakim. And in that story, um, the king of Judah and the king of Israel decided to um, go to war with other surrounding countries. But, but the king of Judah wanted more confirmation so the king of Israel brought 400 of his prophets and they all prophesied that it was great that the, the nations would have victory. And then the king of Judah said, Are there no kings? Are there no prophets in Judah? They came up with one prophet. And they said, This prophet is a contrary prophet. Everything the, all the other prophets say, this prophet will disagree. But the king of Judah said, Well, I want to listen to this prophet. 
It turned out that this prophet, this local prophet, was correct. But of course, the kings didn't want to listen to him. They listened to the 400 prophets that told them to go and do war. And of course, the king of Israel was killed in the process. But what this story tells us is that we so often do not honour the ones within our congregation. You know this, that saying the prophet is never honoured in his own town. And that is so sad, yet so true. Perhaps we should start looking around for people in our congregations who have, whom God has called to speak his heart, to lead his people, to teach his people, to bring the gospel to others. Well, I know all this came out from just one thought, that this huge mustard tree is localised. It doesn't move around, it can't move around. But as it is, it remains there. Those around it, the birds needing rest, find shelter in that tree. So now we look at the dough. Think of the yeast. Bakers would know this better, but I was just thinking, 60 pounds of dough, that's huge. I mean, the dough that we make, we use maybe it's one pound, two pounds, one kilogram, right? Half a kilogram thereabouts. But 60 pounds of yeast, how does one need 60 pounds of yeast, considering that in those days they probably didn't have big machines? What they do then is they pour the yeast, allows the yeast to permeate gradually and slowly into every bit of bread. And so when you cut, when you eat bread, you think of how soft it is. It's not one part soft and one part hard. But the yeast has permeated through all the dough and has softened the bread. Now what is ambiguous about this simile, this parable, is that it doesn't say what the dough is. Is the dough a human person, one person? Or is the dough a community? Or is the dough where our neighbourhood is? It doesn't say. And I believe that it doesn't matter because as we think about what the kingdom of God, what the rule of God can do in all these aspects, it's the same how it permeates through no matter how large the community or the person. So I think first of a person. When God starts ruling, it's small, it's insignificant. And for many of us, we have lots of issues, lots and lots of deep-seated problems. Those who are in counselling and social work would attest to that, that when you counsel one person for one problem, it's just to solve one tiny problem. But the person itself, most of us are damaged in many, many ways. We're damaged because from our predisposition, the way we were created, we respond to abuses, harsh words, bad influence so easily. So by the time we are grown up, we are very messed, messed up grown-ups. And we think then, how does a little bit of God change our lives? And that's where this parable is so important. Because a bit of yeast that goes into a life transforms everything. A start, a small start of God working in our lives and unconsciously it just permeates. It doesn't hit parts directly. So often we don't even notice it. But God doesn't change 
remove just one habit or oh, I've got a bad habit of anger and so God removes the anger he doesn't do that he changes the whole person a little at a time and after a while we discover that our depression has changed because there is joy in our hearts our anger has subsided because there is good feelings and love around and we see changes in our lives imperceptibly at first but surely after some years we see a change what's important is to keep the east inside us to keep god's rule in our lives of course if we threw out god's rule and say we don't want nothing to do then we can't change but as long as god's rule is in our hearts and we allow him to fill our minds what he teaches then we will surely be transformed and then i think about office environment office environment is probably the most toxic of all environments and it includes churches it includes hospitals any kind of environment where there are people whether it is fast-paced and earns lots of money with lots of prospects for promotion or it's just a place where there is no prospect for promotion even so office politics will be rife and many of our office environments then are very toxic and painful you could stab anyone walking in the question then is how does the rule of god in one person make a difference in the entire office sometimes we think that just sharing the gospel forming prayer meetings and prayer groups maybe sometimes those things help but really it's not in these little groups that help it first must begin with us as individuals does god rule in your heart in the first place it doesn't need much fanfare this yeast just permeates the dough and your life your life of kindness of meekness of gentleness of love for people of mercy of compassion of honesty each of these things that god says are blessed in the beatitudes all the things that god teaches us about patience about forbearance about caring for others and looking not looking into their faults giving them space to grow now if each of us has god's rule in our lives we go into an office and our demeanor our love our gentleness will permeate into the office i've seen workplaces change workplace that is so hostile any hostile any visitor would feel a sharp stab in his heart and quickly run away transformed into an office where newcomers new staff are welcomed not to be taken to join one side or the other but welcomed loved even sh- the gospel shared with them invited to different groups and the boss can be totally relaxed about how his staff treat newcomers doesn't have to worry about this faction grabbing this staff and that faction grabbing that staff and influencing them he just allows his staff to take care of a new staff and he enjoys it because he knows that they will be loved i've seen that happen in offices and all it takes is one person who is so filled with god's rule and allows god's ways to lead him and her 
And so think, continue to think about yeast and dough, how yeast permeates dough and makes a difference. And then I think about our church, Agape, in this huge place in Jurong. What really will matter? What happens when we adopt the rule of God in our lives? The rule of compassion, not of fast marketing or publicity. Of course, sometimes you have to publicize, otherwise no one knows what we are doing. And yet, not for that purpose, but, but simply because we care for people, that we really hold the people in the neighborhood in our hearts and we want them to know God and to experience the same love that, that we have experienced from God. If we took that attitude and we just went out and loved, wonder what will happen to our neighborhood, to our homes, to our workplaces. What this parable tells us is that the yeast is powerful and permeating and going through the entire dough, 60 pounds of it. And so it is with our lives. A tiny mustard seed growing to a giant, gentle, drying tree that provides restoration and rest for others. Let this, these thoughts fill your minds, capture your imagination, and then ask God what He wants to do with that kingdom in your life. Let us pray. Father, such huge promises, promises of what you do in us, a mustard seed so small and yet your DNA, your destiny is in it, that it will grow into a gentle giant that provides rest for birds, and then, Lord, we think of ourselves insignificant, often forgotten, overlooked, overlooked in our work, in our offices. So few of us are really high flyers. So few of us seem to have that great potential to make a blast in the world. But Father, when your rule is in our hearts, your destiny is in our lives, your DNA is within us. And Lord, you will bring forth that mustard tree, not to dominate, not to bully, not to push others out, but simply to provide rest for others. We ask then, Lord, for our church, that even for our church, with its small size, and sometimes we wonder where the potential is, where we have lots of problems, Lord, even looking for nominating leaders for our church. Help us to believe that even in a tiny church like ours, there are gifts and there are roles and offices that you have given to us. That within this church, we will find apostles who are leaders, pastors who nurture their people, teachers who teach your word, prophets who speak your heart, evangelists who speak your good news, and bring it out, bring it forth. Father, that in a tiny church like ours, there will be great growth. And in that growth, many will find shelter, many will find rest and restoration with us. Father, we pray too that this truth of yeast and dough will resonate in our lives. 
knowing that your word and your rule, no matter how little, will permeate through each of us and will transform our lives. Help us to be patient though, Lord, as we look at our loved ones and our colleagues and our neighbours and we see how badly damaged they are and how damaging they are. And Lord, so often we feel impatient and we wonder why <coughs> change isn't fast enough. Help us, Lord, to hold faith, to believe that as your kingdom resides in each life, each of us will be transformed by your presence and by your love. The same, Lord, not just for individuals, but for our homes, our workplaces, the neighbourhood. That as you reside in each of us, even the most toxic home and the most toxic office will be a, become a place of love, of peace, of welcome. Let your word, your promise come to pass in our lives and through us. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well then, I'll see you all tomorrow. Well, we'll talk again tomorrow. Have a great, blessed day. Goodbye.